So I looked him in the face and I said, fine, Ripley, I don't believe it. <laughs> Welcome back to River Heights Radio. I'm Hope Busby. I'm Carl Hauser. <laughs> We're here to talk about the Phantom of Pine Hill and that grave defiling. Culture appropriating. Boyfriend simping. Teenage, teenage detective, detective. Nancy Drew. This. I would like to go on record as saying is my least favorite book so far. So far. Give it time. It's bad. A Little Place Called Emerson, An Unsafe Place for Native Peoples. It's racist. It's poorly written. We see a version of Nancy that is much subdued and subservient to her boyfriend. We had to sit down and ask ourselves, did we see Nancy Drew do anything we haven't seen her do before? Anything interesting or unique? And we just didn't. Uh, except for being even worse. Except for being worse, yeah. And we had to sit through boring boat races. Yeah, any part of a Nancy Drew mystery you might not have liked, where Ned shows up and says, let's do a dance instead of a mystery let's do a boat race instead of a mystery let's do a parade instead of a mystery just multiply that by a factor of 10 for this book i was tempted not to do an episode but i think it would be negligent not to even though this book pisses me off that's worth talking about i think i do find it funny that this seems to be uh the first book that directly takes off from information in the last book. Yes. As we remember, Ned said, Don't you, Nancy, don't you dare take another mystery until June 10th. It's the big June dance. And then he, like, hands her one right before the big June dance. As you folks know, June 10th isn't just the June dance. June is when we celebrate white people. Mm. Famously, June is just for white people. Yeah. Um, the last time we saw the girls at Emerson College, it, they got snowed in. It was winter. so And that was a while back. Not written by Harriet Adams. So now we get Harriet Adams nonsense. I want it to be absolutely clear that my joke is about Juneteenth. Yes. Okay, good. It's funny. It also pisses me off. So this isn't just the June 10th dance. This is June week. Mm. Uh, a whole week of events that we have to sit through. Ned's fraternity is very important to the world. But when Nancy with her friends show up to stay in the hotel for, God, a week. Can you imagine a week in a hotel? The hotel has somehow not booked her room. No room in the inn. And Everybody's here for Emerson's big June week. And lest my fellow feminists were worried that Nancy Drew might have to figure out this bureaucratic nonsense with the hotel by herself, don't worry, the boys show up and rescue her by saying, we know a dude. We know an older gentleman who has befriended all the boys at the college. At the all-boys college. At the all-boys college. And we trust him enough. Feels like you'll be safe. That we'll ask him if you three girls can impose upon him. And as a bonus, I happen to know he's got a ghost. He's a good guy. We feel safe. So you'll be fine. You know, he's a classic, rich, old gentleman who befriends young boys and has them call him uncle. Uncle John. Lives in a historical mansion. In any other book, that'd be a villain, right? That's mm. so creepy. His family settled this town. Yeah. Uh, stole it from the indigenous peoples mm -hmm. living there. And helped 
found this university. June week seems to be a stand-in uh, in many ways for like a town anniversary type celebration. It's not just about Emerson College, but Emerson College seems to be hand in hand with Emerson, this, the town. It's the same. So uh, so it's also, also a celebration of this town, which anyone who's gone to a small town celebration knows that's a celebration of, you know, this this dressed up history of how it was founded how it was settled all this stuff so we really get this propaganda handed to us about the lovely settlers and their attempts at very peaceful interaction with some very restless natives with friendly quote-unquote indians which is the only term that will be used throughout this book it's a very two ways and it's the two ways you often see with uh, stories about native americans they're either friendly and accommodating or they're violent on a warpathy you know a lot of nuance there yes nancy is persuaded to go to this mansion on pine hill where queer things have been happening lately do you mean we may be getting into something dangerous asks Bess. Dave invited me here to have fun. That's why Bert asked me, said George. But what's the mystery? Hey Dave, why am I coming? Is this for fun or what? All you have to do, Ned says, it's really easy. Just catch the phantom. Catch the what? Bess cried out. A spook? <laughs> Bess is in top form in this book. This is uh, this is also not a fun book for Bess, who really gets it in the in the food shaming. Yes. And saves everybody in the end. She's the big hero. That's the only good thing about this book. But we'll get there. It doesn't save it. Now, Emerson College is located in a cove, which is located off of the Ohio River. So the way Uncle Rorick greets them is to say, Hello, Ned. This is my lucky day. A bevy of beautiful girl detectives. And immediately he is ingrained in our mind as safe <laughs> and accommodating like how creepy then he says this is mrs holman my right hand man immediately nancy notes that mrs holman is just a stand-in for hannah gruen oh yeah exactly like hannah nancy and hannah are the closest of confidants step down from mom last book but whatever so the girls are very thankful to john uncle john a chorus of thank yous all around they felt at home right away in the mansion of course it's, it's you know a mansion and they've got to replace Hannah. i mean they're high class <laughs> nancy notices right away one of the rooms is padlocked shut yet another point in favor of the safety of uncle john was this because of the phantom nancy wondered the girls have have just enough time to change into their dresses for the late afternoon party thrown by the fraternity. Yep. Mrs. Holman is upset because while the view used to be beautiful, even at night, now when she looks out at night, she's just scared <sighs> because she sees a light bobbing in the trees. She talks about it as if she's seen it. So Nancy says, you've seen it? No. No. Nope. I heard but, about it. But he's there all right. Heard the rumors. <laughs> Yeah, it's okay. So that's so we have two parts so far to our mystery locked door, bobbing light. Uncle John, what's this I hear about a phantom? Oh, you mean the one that keeps getting into my library that I have padlocked? The what utter nonsense! 
The only room in the house that the Phantom lives is the library. And Uncle John, who seems to believe it's some sort of Phantom, uh, his obvious fix is to lock it in there. But it's, it still keeps going in there freely. Yeah. Obviously a secret door. We know this. It's going to be a secret door. And it was so annoying watching and reading the tedium of them exploring and searching every inch of this room, knowing that I just have to wait until it's the right point in the book for them to find this door. Uncle John plays it coy. I don't know why anyone would want to get into my library. Weird, right? It certainly is weird, says George. Uh, come to find out, Uncle John keeps a bunch of money in the library. Like so much money. And also has a big safe full of more money and rare coins worth like what he's dropping the figures on these coins at the end of the book they're like how much are they worth well i you know it's hard to say one is worth seventy five thousand. another is worth 150 000 <laughs> it's like just insane <laughs> numbers he's putting up there but he wanted to keep them on hand so he could look at them yeah it is supposed to be like top of the line yeah but put your safe in another room you got a phantom in this one that's true at the point that you know a phantom is coming into your room maybe take all the money out of it yeah nancy asks uncle john are you missing any of your money well i don't think so but i you know i may have overlooked something uncle john's got so much money in so many places it's hard to say so he says it gives me a creepy feeling to know there's a ghostly visitor in the house John, we all have a creepy feeling. Either way, whether it's a phantom or a robber, yeah, absolutely, that's creepy. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm glad you're staying here, young teenage girls. Oh, goodness, yes, Bess agreed. I hope I never see this phantom. I'll lock my door and cover my head at night. Specifically doesn't help, apparently. The others laughed, and Nancy said, I hope I'll meet this apparition. I'm sure he's a real live person. Not less scary, Nancy. Not a less scary person to meet in the middle of the night. Well, they're off to the Mega Chai Epsilon party. Oh boy. Nancy's a bit reluctant to leave. She wants to start working on the mystery. But some things are more important than mysteries. Like putting on your pretty afternoon <laughs> dresses and joining a gay chattering crowd of students and girls, sipping cool drinks and eating tiny sandwiches. I know you said Omega Chai, mm. but I heard Mega Chive. Uh, that's what I prefer to think of the fraternity as from now on. Oh, and this is where we deduce that it's an all-boys college, because it doesn't really say. <laughs> but they start referring to the revelers as Emerson students and girls. Yes. <laughs> so, oh, okay. At the party, a thin young man about 25 approaches Nancy with a slightly sagging jaw. What is that? <laughs> Is he slack-jawed or has he got a double chin? What is it? With an ill-fitting waiter's coat. So he's carrying in one palm a tray of pink lemonade. And he accidentally spills it all on Nancy, basically. Ned said angrily, Why don't you watch what you're doing, Fred? Fred, in this book, is like if you if you hated Mr. Bean. Like... <laughs> mean to Fred. Yeah, he's immediately just like, you worm, you slime, you bottom of the shoe thing. And of course, 
Nancy is wearing a white dress. Because Naturally. why not? Cause, well, because that's what you wear. <laughs> I mean, if you've never been to June week, first dance, that's white. So she has to go back to the house to change. Even Nancy is not very forgiving about it. Mm. Where she might usually say, oh, you know, let me stick up for this person. And I might even have some clever way to have clothes in my car or whatever. Mm-mm. Nancy's just kind of like, yeah, that sucks, bro. I'm going home. Yeah, she has to go complain to Uncle John and Miss. Holman who are also annoyed because yeah not only because how dare he but now we learn that Fred also works for them Fred's clumsy here too but I've grown used to him says Mrs. Holman who only wears pink (laughs) when Nancy changes she decides she's gonna wear her pearl necklace which is when she discovers it's missing the phantom not only can get into the library but is not confined to the locked library he's gone through the girl's stuff enough to take her pearl necklace Uncle John, who's not a safe-feeling person, is not the least safe thing in this house Mm -hmm. for these unprotected girls. Yeah, Mr. Rorick says he'll pay for a new necklace. But like any good boat, this (laughs) necklace is insured. Don't even worry about it. How much do you think Nancy has taken from that insurance company? Her deductible must be insane. (laughs) Mr. Rorick is going to call the police while Nancy goes back to the party. Doesn't seem like the Nancy we know. No, no, she's not involved. You've had a lot of excitement today, they said. Which, like, no. Unless you consider it exciting getting drinks spilled on your dress. Yeah, Nancy Drew, who has spent days in trunks, has gone to all corners of the world, and has foiled plots at literal world domination, had a big day of dress changing. I loved it, except about the necklace. So now we're okay with getting the drinks spilled on us. Yeah. It's just the necklace getting stolen. It's all perspective. Puts it in perspective. After the fraternity party, they went to a country restaurant to have dinner and dance. This means they got home at midnight. Wild. (laughs) Nancy fell asleep immediately, but later a creaking sound awakened her. I'd better go alone and learn what I can, Nancy decided. (laughs) Which is nothing. She learns nothing. Uh, She learns nothing, sees nothing, but she tells everyone that there was someone in the house. She did see the bobbing light in the trees. That's true. More than (laughs) surrogate Hannah has seen. She overcame a desire to go outside and investigate. Although brave the young detective tried not to take unnecessary chances who are you and what have you done with our nancy a book ago you ran outside in scotland you didn't know the country like you didn't know where you were going yeah and and that was fine but now it's like oh i better not go out on the front lawn of a mansion what yeah she had often met danger while sleuthing to be fair she doesn't get kidnapped this time so she does Maybe this was the chance. She does get kidnapped. Does she? In the worst way. We'll get to it. Oh, God. (laughs) Carl. (laughs) Despite her interrupted sleep, lest you think Nancy is anything less than a god, she is the first one awake in the morning. This is when we find out Mrs. Holman has been telling the police all along about the Phantom and they will not believe her. (laughs) Because they don't think she's a reliable witness. 
she even thinks that they suspect she's making it all up or doing even the rummaging. And Nancy is quick to say, oh, I'm sure they don't suspect you. But like, actually, that's a pretty good suspect. And also the police probably just suspect everyone. <laughs> you remember that song, the I Love the Cops song on TikTok? Mm-hmm. Show up at the scene of the crime, <laughs> take a couple notes and then accuse you of lying. Yes. <laughs> well, Uncle John is leaving. I, for one, and breathing a sigh of relief at this point. He's, yeah, he's got like a three-day conference at, at, at the uncle's convention. He's off to a class reunion at his college. That's right. It's really saying something when your family founds a college and you're like, nah. Yeah, that's not for me. <laughs> that's so funny. I didn't even That didn't even occur to me. As he's leaving, Uncle John remarks that it may have been a real burglar instead of a phantom. Uncle <laughs> John's like, I was thinking about it. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to jump to any conclusions but i was was thinking about a ghost wearing your pearls nancy and i thought that's a bit silly (laughs) that's a bit silly he gives mrs holman the key to the library and he says that so his girl detective force can do some investigating what before i go though would you be interested in hearing about my family history that's how i exit every room (laughs) no i want to well guys it's been fun uh, gotta get out. Oh, before I go, would you like to hear about my family history? The main upshot of this is we find out that he's apparently related to French aristocracy. Mm-hmm. And at some point, one of his great-grandmothers who lived in the house and got married was sent from France unnamed treasures, including a wedding dress. Yeah, our big treasure MacGuffin, this book, is the wedding dress and question mark. Yes. However, the boat, Lucy Bell, that was bringing this over, sunk into the river, and the treasure was never seen again. There's also rumors that there were gold coins in that cargo as well. Now, Nancy points out, do you think maybe they're trying to find that treasure and think there's some kind of clue in the library? He never thought of that, of course. Family treasures just come along all the time. All I could think of is over in DeSoto Bend in Iowa, I used to go as a child, where you could see the cargo. There was a steamboat called Bertrand that sunk in 1865, I believe. The insurance companies dove right away and saved like some of the more expensive items, including mercury, apparently. But most of the cargo went into the mud. So then in 1968, when the steamboat was rediscovered at the bottom of the river, apparently because of where it was, it belonged to the federal government. So you can go and see these treasures, which are really well preserved. Wow. By the mud. So I immediately thought, okay, this treasure probably could be intact were it in the river still. Like, were it still in the mud? I don't know about wedding dresses, depending on how well it's sealed. How well preserved is your wedding dress? Well, it's mud packed, so it's, it's good. <laughs> well, it was so fascinating always to go see all of these things that people would have just daily used in their life. I think that is fascinating, which also makes it so funny that kind of our immediate guess on this treasure is that it's not really at the bottom of the the lake or the cove uh that someone probably buried it elsewhere yeah and not only that nobody's found this boat but of course nancy drew finds it like i mean who else would that is no easy feat in a muddy river it's almost as if it wasn't that important to anyone else (laughs) Well, no, 
because we find out the two university students who also had ancestors that settled right. this town have been looking for it. And they've been using like technology, I believe, to try to find it. Yeah. <laughs> Uncle John has a framed letter from his ancestors about what they were sending in terms of treasures. Now, unfortunately, that framed letter is in French. Well, we know Nancy can read French, mm -hmm. but it's in old French. The ironic thing is we know Nancy can read old French. And it's like fairly fluently, too. Yeah, like she read a whole letter in that oak one. But now apparently these words are too old. Yeah, I, I just imagine Nancy Drew standing there with the letter being like, oh, it doesn't say like bibliotech or... <laughs> La Pacine, so I, I'm, I'm pretty lost on this. Luckily, on the back, they pasted the English translation. Oh, well, there you go. The queen herself had selected the material for the wedding dress. Like, it doesn't get more decadent than, like, these gifts are from the king and queen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. So, in the steamboat Bertrand sinking, nobody died. Like, everybody was able to get off. And you're not, no, you're not talking about the roaring ocean Yeah, it's here. a riverboat. However, the Lucy Bell exploded. So many people died on the Lucy Bell. But also, it seems that maybe some people survived, but we don't know anything about them. Yeah, I mean, for the mystery to work, they have to have. <laughs> <laughs> Nancy points out that scuba divers may have already removed the treasure from the boat, but Uncle John doubts it. So for some reason, a detective shows up to take Nancy Drew's fingerprints because she reported her necklace missing. There's a bunch of weird stuff with fingerprints in this book. We've never seen so much fingerprinting. The padlock is removed <laughs> and the girl detective force goes into the library and it is freaking beauty and the beast level library the beast. in That's there so great. and best goes oh i've never seen so many books in one room there must be thousands of them i cannot imagine the epicness of this library i think the miserable thing is like every book is just family histories he's like local information <laughs> apparently uncle john just has a very eclectic collection <laughs> nancy notices right away there is a fireplace that is a duplicate of the one in the dining room. And in fact, she knows architecture. Mm -hmm. It is back to back with the one in the dining room. Now, if that doesn't scream spinny around secret door to you, you haven't watched any Scooby-Doo. You know right away, secret door has to do with fireplace. And she's sure of it, no matter how many times she checks and can't find it. Yes. And she's right. However, she decides maybe she's wrong because the ashes and wood in the fireplace don't look disturbed. They start searching the books and suddenly George cries out, Wow! Guess what I've found! What a hell of a bookmark! <laughs> yes. So in many of the library books, any of the ones with like Roar in the title, so like this book is called Roaring Twenties, which is a play off of Uncle John's last name, Rorick. Because, Hope, that's how he remembers where he put his money. His name, Rorick. Roar in Rorick. Now say he has $150 in this book. Mm -hmm. He's going to store it on page 150. That's called accounting. As long as nobody thinks to move it to a different page. Which they do. Also, I love that these Roar books, for the most part, are all on one shelf. 
Yeah. Like, my first instinct was like, oh, he has them kind of dispersed around the library. Clever. No, they're like all in one area. You know how some people do their books by color? John, Uncle Rorick is doing his books by whether it has the word roar in it. Absolutely, the person who's been getting into the library noticed the system and will just, you know, take $10 and move the, you know, money 10 pages away. Best side, this is the most unique bank I've ever been in. Not that I've been in very many. My parents control all my money. Yeah. I don't really make money. Okay, Beth. I, I'm privileged. I've never had yeah. to ever worry about money. And, <laughs> I don't know why, why. Why are we pointing this out? Okay. Thank you, Bess. Shame on you, Cousin Bess, said George with mock severity. <laughs> like, what? This is one of those times when I'm just sitting here reading this, and I like have to look around. Like, is anyone else seeing this? What is happening? Well, they're due at the Omega House for the crew race at noon. Mm. So they we don't need have... another break from this mystery, I think. <laughs> They don't have time to do more mystery. Once there, Ned cleverly gets Nancy to a quiet spot with him by saying, oh, this is too much noise. I won't be ready for the race if I use all my energy in this crowd. So they go over like beneath a tree. He goes and gets them like heaping plates of food. And then he's like, I can't eat this. It'll make me do worse in the race because it'll weigh down the boat. Why? Why any of this? Ned just likes feeding. Nancy laughed and Ned asked, have you caught the spook yet? <laughs> I almost did, Nancy answered, which was absolutely a lie. Like... Hey, listen, she heard his footsteps. <laughs> More than fake Hannah did. She was about to mention what they'd found in the library when a wasp landed in her food. That's right. This is the quality detail this book provides. The stakes are high. Here's the ironic thing. Some of the writing is genuinely better, but the plot is hard. It's not a lie happening. It, yeah. yeah. Well, the wasp leads them to discover that Fred is spying on them behind the tree. So creepy. It's utterly creepy. His, his slack jaw just hanging out from behind the tree. Fred's face turned red and he stammered, I, I was just coming to see if I could bring you anything else. Are you waiting this event, Fred? Like, are you staff? What is happening? If we want more food, we'll get it, Ned told him. You're supposed to be serving in the house. Hadn't you better get back on the job? You bug. You slime. You filth. Ned is sure he's going to tell everyone in town whatever he heard. Hey, did you hear? A wasp in Nancy's food. Before Ned leaves to go do this race, Ned says to Nancy, Remember, your seats are in the front row. I'll be listening for your cheering. You read that so dark. I, I heard it very dark. <laughs> like, you'd better cheer me on. Like, I got you front row seats. Yeah, I'm sure he sounded chipper saying it, but that's a really weird thing to say. You got a heaping plate of lukewarm potato salad. You got the energy. You're sitting in the front. You cheer me on. <laughs> Bess and Dave are bonding over the fact that they both get extremely nervous at, at races. What Bess is nervous everywhere. <laughs> Bess has an anxiety issue. Even Nancy could feel herself tensing up. It's like, they're like, we learned our lesson. Nobody liked that football scene. Oh, we Lord. have to really show how into this these girls are. Ned, Ned, come on, shouted Nancy. If any of our listeners are wondering what the action is like, 
in a boat race. Let me tell you, it's what you might expect. Oh, Ned! Nancy cried out. Get ahead! Get ahead! (laughs) Ned's team was ahead. Then the other team got ahead. With a push, Ned's team was ahead. But then the other team got ahead. Like, that's it. So much. Nancy's heart was thumping madly. The excited girl was almost too choked to breathe and cry out anymore. I swear I was cheering for you, but then I got too excited and I could no longer cheer for you. I was just throwing up potato salad and yelling. She dug her nails into the palm of her hands and never took her eyes off of Ned. To herself, she said, Stroke, stroke, you've gotta win. Ned's team was ahead. Then the other team was ahead. They apparently crossed the line to the human eye, exactly tied. The photo finish. So there's a whole big hullabaloo wait before the high-speed camera results, which are that Ned's team won. Then Emerson gives their college yell, to which the other college returns their college yell. And then Emerson goes, Emerson! 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 It's all very exciting. Should we do the Emerson college yell together? (laughs) We're Emerson! And then the other team goes, We're not Emerson! (laughs) It's very, very thrilling. I've never seen anything so exciting in my life, says Bess. I'm exhausted. Which is like what you say when you just want to get away after something. Yeah, like, well, that was, wow. (laughs) Oh, you guys really voted against each other. Well, Ned says, do you want to get away alone in a canoe with me, Nancy? (laughs) Sure, if we can go to where the Lucy Bell sank and do some investigating. (laughs) Nancy, I'm going to allow that, but you're pushing your luck, says Ned. Since Ned is, like, tired after the race, Nancy offered to paddle, but Ned only laughed. No. Saying this would be an easy task after the grueling race. She gets so little autonomy in this one. Well, says Ned, I overheard a clue a few weeks ago and it just occurred to me I might want to tell you. There were two men in the college library researching the Lucy Bell. I'm sure they didn't belong to the university. (laughs) One of them, in a deep, hoarse voice, mentioned the Rorick treasure. Like, how do you not immediately connect that? (laughs) I don't know. Uncle Rorick's got a ghost. I wonder if it has anything to do with the two non-college elderly men (laughs) I saw standing around going, that Rorick treasure. Ned, if you ever happen to see those men again, try to find out who they are. Mm. At your service, Miss Detective. Yeah, see if you can remember to tell me in a couple months. Nancy asks some more questions. Ned starts this really weird role play. Would you like Professor Nickerson to lecture? Oh my god. He asked, a twinkle in his eye. Please do, Nancy begged. That's fascinating, said Nancy. Don't stop. He does, he gives a very long lecture. Professor will relate one more story. And that's the end of his knowledge. It's the fact that the third person calls himself Professor. It's giving very Futurama. (laughs) Professor here to help. So this is where we learn that in Ned's opinion, Ned's understanding of the history of the town, the indigenous people were fearful that the white men would take away all their territory, so they raided and burned settlements. 
I mean, fair that's that they fair. were. That, that seems. That seems like. That's what the white men did that's do. That's what was happening. That's what they did. Pretty accurate. Oh my goodness. Well, just then, Nancy sees a flash of sunlight on glass and figures out a man in a tree is watching them with binoculars. He's got binocs? That's a detective thing. Suddenly, a motorboat almost hits them. Again, high stakes. (laughs) You okay? They asked in unison to each other afterwards. They're both fine. Their canoe sinks, however. (laughs) I assume it's insured. You gotta have a canoe sinking. What a mess, Ned said in disgust. Do you think the pilot hit us on purpose? Maybe he was just a bad pilot, Nancy says. Ned shook his head doubtfully. Well, Ned admits he probably should have paddled away when he first heard the motorboat, but he was distracted by the man with the binoculars in the tree. There's so much going on. Then a little bit while later, Nancy said thoughtfully, I can't figure out why that pilot didn't see us. Meaning that you think he meant to run us down, Ned said. You're coming around to my point of view, he grinned. (laughs) Why were these roles not switched around? And it seems like when Ned and Nancy are together, for some reason, she's like, well, it could be anything. Almost as if she doesn't want to give him the credit of being the first one to say, Mm. he hit your car on purpose. He, he mowed us down on purpose. Well, okay, Ned. Okay, I'm the detective. Let me think about it. Yeah, it was on purpose. <laughs> Nancy made a wry face, but did not answer. Yeah. As they're searching for the binoculars, man, Nancy gets too cold and clammy with her water-soaked dress. Yeah, she's not best. She can't handle this. So they hurry off to the mansion through the woods. Mrs. Holman gets them into clean clothes. We start the running joke of Ned wearing quite a bit of Uncle John's clothing. Nancy says to Mrs. Holman, that phantom was watching in the woods and he had a confederate with a motorboat. Sure, just scare Mrs. Holman more. I used to love the view of the cove, but now I just think of the motorboat. Have you seen it? No, but I've heard about it. Nancy offers to walk Ned back. Back to shore Mm -hmm. so he can, I don't know. Kiss on her, I don't know. Canoe back to town, but in what boat? Oh, that's a good question. I guess he's got to swim back. (laughs) (laughs) She tried hard to keep from smiling as she looked at Ned. Mr. Rorick certainly went for vivid sports clothes. He's gay, right? Like that—that's what—that's the thing, right? He's a—he's a bachelor, confirmed bachelor, with an elderly housekeeper. Yeah. She knew that Ned would be the victim of a lot of teasing when he reached the fraternity house, so she refrained from any of her own, which is honestly the most considerate we've seen Nancy be. She rarely notices Ned's paper-thin ego, so it's nice she did that for him. When they fail to find footprints, Ned says, "If that was the Phantom, he has winged feet." I mean, if it was a phantom, he doesn't need winged feet. My understanding of most phantom lore is that they float. It's such a specific winged feet. Nancy on her own, unhindered by Ned, does find footprints. (laughs) They are small sized. A slight man of medium height left them. I love how she always knows. It's how deep they go. Ten feet tall, your footprints go ten feet down. So she's running home. It's getting late in the afternoon. And suddenly from the sky, out of nowhere, 
floats down a sheet of paper mm-hmm. with two giant thumbprints. Now the mystery really begins. And the mystery is, what the fuck? There was no person, bird, or animal in sight. I could almost believe there is a phantom in these woods, Nancy murmured to herself. And he's giving out pamphlets? Yup, <laughs> with his freaking giant thumbprints, apparently. For several seconds, Nancy did not move. There had been a few times in her life when she had been utterly confounded by some event which seemed to hold no explanation except a supernatural one. This was one of those times. It is preposterous that she is this dumbfounded when the answer is the guy's hiding in the tree. And he just dropped a piece of paper. Even if he weren't, how many times do pieces of paper get caught up by the wind? Right. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> There's like a million explanations. But the best thing is, there's so much tree coverage that Nancy should be like, there could be someone up there. But instead, she's like, it impossible. I see no person or bird. It impossible. But presently, she shook off the mood, telling herself this was nonsense, which it was. It was. I think that she emphasized so much it coming out of nowhere that I missed the fact that the thumbprints themselves were giant. It wasn't even a thing for me. George looked at Nancy. Hypers! We let you out of our sight for two hours and whammo! Two hours and whammo! One piece of paper. Bess gave a little cry. That's creepy. Where did it come from? And this should have been my clue that the paper itself creeped them out. But I I just I still missed was, it. Yeah, obviously my assumption, if I get a piece of paper with two big thumbprints on it, is someone lost their artwork while they were doing Somebody Loves You. <laughs> George insisted that someone was playing a trick on Nancy, but Bess and the housekeeper were worried. <laughs> this is a bad omen, Nancy, Mrs. Holman remarked. <laughs> Steeped in any history at all? A bad omen of what? Of what? Well, George said, come on now, girls, time to make ourselves beautiful. <laughs> yeah, well, this is enough mystery for now. This is really dress-up night, Bess remarked as they hurried to their rooms. <laughs> this dance is gonna be a honey. <laughs> Dave was telling me all about the decorations. <laughs> as usual, Bess had chosen a fluffy dress with a full skirt, while George's pale green silk was quite simple and fitted her boyish figure admirably. Nancy was a quick dresser and was ready before the other girls. Again, a goddess. Mm-hmm. She has like just like geometric embroidery on her sleeves. Very 60s. See you downstairs. I'm going to do a little sleuthing while I'm waiting for you. (laughs) I thought fully she was going to have to change her dress. Yeah, yeah. But no, she does run into Fred Jenkins, who stared at her in complete astonishment and admiration. Miss Nancy, you look positively super. As Fred spoke, he let a vase of flowers he was carrying crash to the floor. Nancy wanted to smile. Instead, she said, I'm terribly sorry. I was so turned on. He freaking blames her for the whole thing. Like if you weren't so beautiful. My horny little heart couldn't take it. Mrs. Holman comes upon the scene. Oh, Fred, she said angrily. That was one of Mr. Rorick's favorite faces. I mean, he might be gay. (laughs) You mustn't mind Fred, Mrs. Holman said. He just can't seem to hold on to things. I keep him because it's hard to get help, and he's the soul of honesty. (laughs) 
And he's not. No! There is no redeeming feature about Fred. Well, does he know about the Phantom, Nancy asked? No, it would just scare him too much. We don't have the heart to tell him. We protect Fred. Poor little Fred. (laughs) Mrs. Holman came to Nancy's side. I've never seen a sleuth at work, she said with a smile. Show me how to do it. And Nancy proceeds to tap fruitlessly on a number of walls. Well, let me show you. This is fascinating. I'm sorry not to be able to show you what I mean. These walls are solid. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know. It's like when you're like, I'm a comedian. They're like, oh, tell me a joke. I don't know how early they're getting ready for this dance, but there's still plenty of time after all this for more sleuthing. Nancy decides to check out the library again. It's clear that the Phantom has been here again. Mrs. Holman says, well, then there's only one answer to the Phantom getting in here. He must be a spook and come through the walls. That's it. Nancy knew there was no point in contradicting Mrs. Holman, but she was amazed that this intelligent person could possibly believe what she had just said. She might not be as intelligent as you think. Bad news. A thought had been building in Nancy's brain, and now she was becoming very disturbed by it. The only person with the key is Mrs. Holman. I wonder if the police were right and it's Mrs. Holman. Yeah, let's track that down for a while. Who's the only person who has kept pushing the phantom story? Hmm, it's Mrs. Holman. Not Hannah, I mean Mrs. Holman. (laughs) The call is coming from inside the house. I just don't want to believe such a thing, Nancy told herself. But I am trying to solve this mystery for Mr. Rorick. The funny thing is, if it was Hannah, fake Hannah, and she was taking, you know, $10 at a time and switching these books, why even push a phantom story? Why not just say it's probably nothing? Yeah. If you're trying to keep it secret. Yeah. He wouldn't have ever noticed without her pointing it out. Right. I mustn't get soft-hearted and miss a clue, Nancy says. Hiding her feelings, she walked out of the library. Would you do me a big favor, Nancy asks? She has Mrs. Holman give her the key for the night. Yeah. And this is going to prove if the phantom still comes tonight, she's innocent. Unless she has a different key. A copy of the key. Well, luckily for Mrs. Holman, she gets called her sister. Lucky for her. Is in the hospital and she has to go babysit her nieces and nephews. Nancy is able to call that night to the hospital, verify that the sister is in the hospital and that Mrs. Holman, the aunt, is in fact babysitting. And this clears Mrs. Holman's name because also the Phantom does steal more stuff that night of all nights. What happened to Nancy's intuition? I know! Like, this is such a deep dive (laughs) to clear the name of someone who's clearly good. Well, Mrs. Holman says, unsuspecting, good luck. I'd certainly like to see this house rid of that spooky creature. (laughs) He makes me so nervous. She also hides the key in her bedroom, which I fully thought it was going to get stolen. I mean, yeah, he's been there. The boys, who were apparently the decoration committee for the stands, Mm -hmm. they went all out. We have roses everywhere. Paper roses, paper trellises, festooning the gymnasium. What a romantic dance. When they are complimented, the girls express surprise. Their three escorts pretended to be hurt. Dave 
remarked, What makes you girls think you have a corner on the artistic market? You bitches. <laughs> I've been taking origami for three years. <laughs> While Ned Ever Modest says, Our achievement was nothing. It was only great. It's a little funny. I gotta give it to Ned. That's a little funny. Before the laughing girls could retort, there was a roll on a drum. The dance has begun. That's how you know a dance starts. For nearly an hour, as broiled chicken, mashed potatoes, fresh peas, salad, and ice cream and cake were served, there was continuous laughter. Is that the meal of the book? That's not even, that doesn't sound good at all. Are you kidding me? I would love to go to a dance that provided that good of a meal. Have you ever gone to a dance that had anything other than like cookies? And one dance I went to was like under the sea themed and it had like goldfish crackers. I think, you know what? That's why weddings are the best dances because they feed you first (laughs) and then you get to go dance. Oh my God. Can you imagine a wedding that's in a gymnasium just festooned with tissue paper roses? Yeah. (laughs) I'm not going to name names, but yes, I feel like I can see that. They say that prom is pretty much a wedding for a lot of people like it's at that level well now you've got promposals yeah <laughs> well finally best remarked after nearly an hour of this please don't anyone else be funny i've laughed so much i heard all over <laughs> tell you what said dave who was far from ready to be serious we'll take you to the infirmary and give you some laughing gas Then it won't hurt. Hey, she asked him not to be funny and he very diligently (laughs) complied. That wasn't funny at all. (laughs) Nancy confides in Ned that she plans to spend the balance of the night in the library, hoping to catch the spook. Ned says she shouldn't do that alone. He would like to spend the night alone with her (laughs) in the library. Much safer. (laughs) Just looking out for you, Nancy. You say there's a padlock on this thing? Yeah, I'll be there. Nancy mentions that George and Bess might be hurt not to be included. Oh. Ned says, don't worry, I'll talk to them. Bess seems super excited about this. She's like, I didn't want to be in that house all alone anyways. And like, after this dance, man, I'm tired. I'm going to just want to sleep tonight. Don't worry about me. I didn't want to be a detective. But George... Something about the way George talks to Nancy makes her suspect that she's up to something. Yeah, twinkles in her eye. That night, Nancy and Ned do stay up in the library. They do hear some suspicious sounds, and they also see the light bobbing in the tree. But just as they're going to investigate, Ned insists on going out the door first, ever the gentleman. And suddenly, he has a bag put over his head as he's tackled to the floor terrifying well it turns out Bess and George were hurt by not being included and they decided to put a pillowcase over Ned's head to show him he's not that hot the classic bag and tackle prank which is very funny and all but Nancy points out they made them miss their chance to actually investigate no Nancy (laughs) you made you miss the chance when you didn't invite us Uh, to your sexy sleepover I love it you did this Look, Nancy, we had to protect your innocence. Yeah, yeah. This can't get around that you stayed the night in a library with a boy alone. Afterwards, Bess suggested that they have a snack in the kitchen. And in a short time, she was scrambling eggs and making toast and a huge pot of cocoa. That's my kind of midnight snack. That's a good meal of the book. Dave threw out his arms and yawned. I'm ready to call it quits. Any extra beds in this old house? Dave would also like to get some tonight. Wait, when did Dave show up? 
Yeah. Is part of the prank? Maybe all the other girls were hanging out with their dates. Yeah. <laughs> Bert is honestly a little bit hurt that George is pretty much like, no, you can't stay here. <laughs> and just for that, I won't help wash the dishes, says Bert. Sure. Thank you, Bert. You were going to help wash the dishes. <laughs> They drive off. Ned does, in fact, spend the night in Mr. Rorick's bed. Wearing his clothes, probably. Pretending to be Mr. Rorick. Ned just wants to be Mr. Rorick. (laughs) Bess, George, and Nancy discover that more money is missing from the books. Ned finally suggests that they remove the money from the books. Oh, duh. (laughs) The Phantom has been here, Nancy exclaimed. What a phantom menace. Ned has a theory. Maybe Uncle John's just messing with them. Well, but Mrs. Holman... Well, he's messing with Mrs. Holman, too. Let's take a really long time exonerating the victims of this mystery. A determined look came over Nancy's face. Tomorrow morning, she's gonna call Uncle John's college reunion. See if he's even there. Make sure he's there, yes. Nancy asked Ned to put the roll of money into his pocket. (laughs) Safest place in all of Emerson. When Nancy calls Uncle John's fraternity, Mm -hmm. whoever she gets on the phone goes into a long-winded explanation about the old-timers' fraternity party. Well, Nancy is convinced that he is, in fact, there. So she asks to get him on the phone. She says, hey, I'm no further in this mystery. I called you to say nothing. So, you know, the Phantom stole several hundred dollars before we thought to not have your money in there. You must catch that phantom thief, he says. I'm doing my best, but it may take a while, Nancy answered. She gets him to agree that she can bring his money to the bursar at Emerson University. He won't let her bring the money to the bank. Fine, I'll do it right away, says Nancy. I know what the bursar is because of Hamilton. Finally, someone mentions Mrs. Palmer. She's like the town historian. She's the only other remaining, like, settler's descendant. You gotta check with the town historian. How many times do I say, first go to the person in town who knows everything? The girls start immediately for her home. Yeah. Mrs. Palmer proved to be a delightful woman in her 80s. She doesn't really tell us anything we didn't already know about the sinking of the Lucy Bell. Mm -hmm. She's the one who tells them there were gold coins in there. She also mentions there are rumors that somebody intentionally exploded Lucy Bell to get those coins. Ooh, maybe Mrs. Palmer's the phantom. (laughs) Those are blaming everyone. Do come back sometime, says Mrs. Palmer, and I will tell you about the quote-unquote Indian raids. Oof. No, thank you. The old town of Emerson was plundered and burned several times, you know. The people of Emerson really have trouble taking a hint on whether they're wanted somewhere, huh? Yeah, well, so did all the white people in America. (laughs) Nancy's ready to get back to mystery solving. Not before lunch, Bess stated firmly. I'm starved. That seems to be a perpetual complaint of yours, said George. There it is. Bess looked hurt. You know I've lost seven pounds. Which you'll put right back on if you don't stop stuffing yourself, George warned. Ugh, Bess, you're okay the way you are. Yeah. Well, this time when they go into the library, Mr. Rorick's desk has been broken into. The room is in shambles. Books everywhere. Drawers open. The Phantom was like, why money gone? Why money gone? George had a ready answer. Maybe the Phantom was so angry at finding that the money had been removed, he decided to get revenge. I mean, yeah. There was silence for a few seconds. 
Then Nancy said quietly, there might be another reason for someone doing this. Nancy thinks the thief is trying to find the treasure. Getting a little desperate because he knows they're on to him, he just like ransacked the place for any kind of clues. If you are a guy with access to a library that may have the answer to the treasure, and you've also just been using it as like a place to get 10 bucks here and then. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when they take out all the money, it's like, oh shoot, putting it on a different page didn't work. To make matters worse, Bess finds sticking out from under the desk, another piece of paper with two giant thumbprints. My God, it was the desk. Nancy even studies the thumbprints with a magnifying glass. Nancy, no, that'll just make them bigger. She discovers they are exactly the same. As each other or the earlier ones? As the earlier ones. She goes to talk to the police and she finds Police Chief Rankin a rather stern man. I thought it likely you had mislaid the necklace, got excited and reported it stolen. Oh, jeez. He admits to her. But now I see you're not that kind of person. I love it when people meet Nancy and they're like, you're not like other girls. Yeah. Finally, Police Chief Rankin is interested in coming to the library and seeing what's up. Mrs. Holman is surprised to see the formerly uninterested Police Chief Rankin at their door. Best whispered to the housekeeper, Nancy's very persuasive. The others waited patiently while Chief Police Rankin did everything that Nancy's already done. Yeah. Bess says maybe we had better tell him. Better not, her cousin replied. He might shoot us. She smiled. We might be interfering with his, er, duties. (laughs) So basically they're effing with him. Yeah. At this point. Chief Rankin has a theory. Perhaps there's another copy of the key to the padlock. But Chief Rankin, Mrs. Holman spoke up. There is only one key to this padlock. And the man at the shop assured me that the padlock could not be broken into. Chief Rankin frowned. He did not argue with the housekeeper, but said crisply, Take my advice. Put a new padlock on at once and don't let anyone get a hold of the key to it. It's just exhausting watching all the things that they are doing while knowing in your heart there's just a secret door. Yeah. Mrs. Holman was a bit hurt by his preemptory manner, but she merely said, I will do that. So now they have two padlocks on this door. Considering how rarely the quote-unquote phantom uses that door, I find it hilarious that it's likely he never even noticed. Yeah. Nancy talks with the locksmith who sells her the padlock. He assures her that this is the very latest model of padlock and positively could not be opened except with the proper key. Okay, because I I learned a lot about picking locks from a guy on a boat once. Not even by a locksmith, Nancy asked, her eyes twinkling. Well, said the shop owner, I wouldn't go so far as to say that. What are you going to use it for? (laughs) Nancy was vague in her answer. Put it on a certain door to keep out burglars, she said, chuckling. Yeah, that's it. Burglars. And the man did not ask any more questions. I mean, he's a locksmith. (laughs) He knows how many dungeons there are in this town. Mrs. Holman serves them cold cuts, potato salad, rich ripe tomatoes, and a delicious chocolate mousse dessert. Nancy praises her for being a marvelous cook. I'm not saying that the food in this book is not 
good. It's just also normcore. We were having Haggis last book. Fred Jenkins shows up in a great mood. He's going to do his chores fast today because he wants to see the pageant on the river later on that they are all attending. Big river parade. When he sees two padlocks on the door, he laughs. You sure must have a gold mine in that place. The others ignored him. As should you, dear reader. (laughs) They're rustling around in the library. They decide he's too nosy. So every time he gets near the door, Mrs. Holman sends him to a new chore that is in a different place. The police get back to Nancy about the thumbprints. They don't belong to a criminal. At least not one that they have on file. I could have sworn those were the thumbprints of Big Thumb Johnson. Suddenly, Bess called out excitedly. A clue! I found a clue! She has found a book that has a whole article about the Lucy Bell sinking. And pasted in the back of the book is a list of the survivors of the Lucy Bell. They are able to show this list to Mrs. Palmer. They figure out two of the descendants of the people involved with this sinking do go to the university. And in fact, they're in the same fraternity as Ned. Unable to restrain her enthusiasm, Nancy needs to immediately call these boys. (laughs) They all meet up for the afternoon to talk about it. Nancy plants a kiss on Mrs. Palmer's cheek and tells her, you know, she'll let her know how the mystery goes. It feels very much like it's a date to me. Yeah. So one of the boys, Ben, says his ancestor was massacred later with all of the other survivors of the shipwreck. Well, Bess says, killed by Indians? That's one of the top three worst ways to die. But Ben says, one of the better lines in this book, the white men must have provoked them. Except for this one incident, they were friendly with the settlers at the time. The white men provoked them by even being there. I mean, very much, right? By even invading their land to begin with. But also, like... Okay, good for Ben. I feel like he's talking to this group of clear racists. And he's like, okay, I want to say my one piece. I want to point out that my ancestor was probably a dick. Like, he had to have done something to deserve being killed. Probably, uh, that didn't come out of nowhere. Yeah. George remarks that it's strange to her that nobody has retrieved the treasure. And he, this is where it's revealed that the boys and some other college boys have been diving in the river trying to find the boat. have been trying. Unsuccessfully. Basically, everyone thinks it'll never be found. Well, says Nancy, I'm gonna find it. Can I rent some equipment somewhere in town? <laughs> More on that later. Yeah, so far the Emerson college boys have kept the one scuba store in all of Emerson afloat just trying to find this treasure I assume. Off to the pageant they go. They're in front row seats watching the boys come down the river in boats that have been made into floats. I mean you gotta have them in front row seats so that the boys can hear them laughing at their costumes. The boys are as mortified as ever to be seen in costumes and it's treated with the same disrespect as it ever has been. You'll never live this down. Bess asks what the costumes are going to be, and Ned says, that's a secret, but we'll wow you. Presently, George called out, here comes Bert. He is dressed up as a fully bearded captain in an old-fashioned uniform and cap. He'll never live that down. He was standing on a barge with one arm outstretched, directing his crew where to take their load of iron ore. What a goof. (laughs) Suddenly, Bess burst into laughter. Oh, I can't believe it. Look at Dave. Her friend Mm -hmm. was wearing a bushy-haired wig. 
whiskers, and sideburns, and was in charge of an ark filled with animals, <laughs> squealing pigs, mooing cows, and neighing horses. How did Noah get into this like, <laughs> exactly. town's history? Like, what is the, what's the through line there? Bert gets some dignity. Like, he's just like a cool captain. Like, but Dave is just like desperately trying to keep these animals under control. Look at our noble history and look at this wackadoo Bible story. Finally, Ned's boat arrives. And this is one of, this is probably the worst part. Well, I don't know. It's not. But oh, I wish it was the worst part of the book, but it's not quite. It's bad. This is bad, guys. This isn't, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I wanted to never read the rest of this book. This is so bad. It's very straight out of like Peter Pan kind of treatment of Native Americans. Ned shows up in a dugout filled with quote unquote Indians. And Ned is playing the part of their chief, Mm. complete with headdress. Headdress, war paint, they're all feathered up. They come up to another boat that is made to look like a shanty. They sneak on board and rob a miser who is counting his coins. They take all his coins. And then they toss the man into the river. Now, I thought this was going to have something to do with the solution. From here on out, I'm like, well, obviously the white men took the gold. Like, that's what happened, is the white men took the gold. Yeah. And that's why they got massacred. No, it doesn't tie in. Still... But that kind of is what happened. Messed up. But, like, the town doesn't know that? Well, it gets worse. Because suddenly, Ned leaps out of his boat, giving a war whoop rushes up to Nancy, scoops her up in his arms, and brings her back to his dugout. Now, if you think Ned is going to speak in a normal way without an incredibly offensive impression of a Native American chief, boy, are you wrong. But first, he's going to drag Nancy to his boat while she yells, Ned, stop it! Stop it! She is also trying to struggle to get free this whole time. Ned's entire crew helps hold her down in the dugout as they paddle away. Just so many levels as of the crowd up. cheers and whoops. Ned, where are you going? What are you doing? Nancy cried out. Ned rose to his full height and said in a stentorian voice which is apparently a very loud authoritative voice and this is so bad guys but i'm gonna tell you because we will be the witnesses to how bad this is (sighs) big chief take pretty maiden to treasure spot and i do refuse to read that in the accent he probably said it with sure a little while later ned with a grin said in his natural voice I'm actually Ned. Around the corner of Pine Hill, after you girls had left the house, Mrs. Holman telephoned me. Blah, blah, blah. You need to talk to Uncle John. He wants to talk to you. He says he wants you to stay until you solve the mystery. (sighs) Hope, are you mad at someone? He's taking a great chance. Who knows how long we may be in Emerson. That's great with me, said Ned. Starting Monday, we'll be studying hard because exams are week after next, but a few dates would ease the strain on the brain. You would sure be a nice aid in my education, Nancy, if you would just stick around. Weirdly, Nancy and friends have nowhere to go. While Uncle John was talking to Ned, he finally remembered that his parents had mentioned an old pine in connection with the treasure. And Ned thinks that he has found 
the old stump that used to be that pine. Why? Because he saw a big old pine stump. So it's probably that's, it. that's probably it. It's big. It's old. <laughs> it's pine. So all of his friends have digging tools. They're going to dig around this stump. And that's why he had to kidnap Nancy. Particularly traumatizing because Nancy has been kidnapped, been kidnapped so, so many times. So many times. The boys are getting tired of digging. They haven't found anything. And one of the boys says, I guess those old war whoopers or the crewmen made away with everything worthwhile. Ned basically says to keep going. They find an anchor. It's not to the Lucy Bell. Little anchor. Finally, Ned conceded defeat. He told Nancy he was sorry to have misled her, but that he had been sure he had discovered a good clue. It was a big old stump hoe. <laughs> Nancy smiled at him. Don't feel bad. I enjoyed being kidnapped by Indians. And it has given me an idea. Oh, good. I hope it's a better one than mine, said Ned. (laughs) Then your idea of uh, dressing up in racist costumes and stealing girls from uh, in front of crowds? I I think anything might be. So Nancy's new theory is some of the indigenous people may have found loot washed ashore from the ship. At which point Nancy and Ned have a good laugh imagining an indigenous woman wearing a French noble wedding dress. Ha 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 ha. Who does she think she is? Pocahontas? I, I, it's bad. It, it, I, I think that what, uh, there's so many things that are assumed or said. You have to just say, what's at the core of that? What's the funny thing? Because nothing's said specifically. It's not like they're like, oh, you know, a Native American woman wearing a wedding dress. It's like a dog on their hind legs. But like, what is the joke then? I mean, that's the joke is like how silly for anyone who's barbarous in their culture to enjoy the modern and, you know, mandated by God wedding dress of the European woman. Well, Nancy says, if the Indians stole valuable cargo, they might have buried it so they could pretend innocence. We went from finding it washed on shore to stole. Yeah. Surely uh, Nancy knows of the Finders Keepers Act of 17... (laughs) That only applies for white people. Yeah, yeah. Finders Keepers, white people only rule. It's also possible, says Nancy, that the survivors of the Lucy Bell, fearing that they might be attacked by marauders hid their reserved cargo underground near the Indian village in an easy spot to find again. Well, I certainly wish you luck, Ned said. (laughs) He grinned wearily. I'm glad you're not going to ask me to do any more digging tonight. But when you find that map, let me know. Just then, from somewhere in the grove, came an ear-piercing shriek of terror. This is a red herring. Nancy does show off how she can lay on the ground and listen for footsteps. Maybe, Nancy teases Ned, the person who screamed got a glimpse of you and was terrified that he had seen an Indian warrior. Well, maybe he was terrified for other reasons. Maybe he knew that if he got too close to Ned, he could get canceled. Or kidnapped. <laughs> Someone saw Ned and all his buddies in Indian headdresses and they went, ah, it's a Coachella. Finally, Nancy has the idea that Ned probably shouldn't keep wearing this costume. <laughs> so he changes into more of Uncle John's clothes. 
There it is again. If I keep this up, poor Uncle John won't have any clothes left. This is when Nancy discovers that every book in the library has been thrown onto the ground. Helter Skelter. The Phantom's getting mean. Yeah. Ned comes upon the scene and utters, wowee. Truly Ned's hypers. This is when they find a rolled parchment on the floor. Nancy's face lighted up. Here's what I was going to search for. (laughs) Conveniently left by the thief, who took the time to take every single book off the shelf and then missed the only important item. Well, here's the thing. The Phantom, unlike Nancy, has absolutely no idea what he's searching for. Hypers, exclaimed George. Another visit from the Phantom? Maybe Ned's the Phantom. Ned stepped forward and laid a hand on Nancy's shoulder. I hate it. (laughs) Meet Indian Princess Nona Viki, he said solemnly. (sighs) She help chief solve heap big Indian mystery. I, you know, I don't even know. Uh, I guess my only question is like, is Nona Viki, we should look this up, is Nona Viki any actual translation from Nancy? It's such a specific thing to say. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I've heard heap big before. I know that's a racist trope. Everyone laughed, (laughs) but Bess. Good. Who said, oh, do be serious. What's the discovery, Nancy? Nancy points to the parchment. According to this, there was once an Indian village about a mile from here. I had a hunch today, just today, that there might be one connected with our mystery. Ned interrupted to say. It's like they wrote this whole entire chapter. To piss you off. To just make me as angry as possible. Ned interrupted to say, Nancy got this idea after a boo-boo I pulled. And then he tells about the fiasco. I have the funniest anecdote. So there I was at a big stump, okay? Mm. Why, I think the pine tree was a very good clue, Bess said kindly. It's okay, Ned. It was a very good try. (sighs) For no reason, she's decided it's the white people who... Blew up the boat on purpose. Blew it up, stole the money, convinced the indigenous people to help by saying they would pay them part of the money, buried it in the village. The village would be a logical location. That's why the indigenous people massacred the townspeople. If we're talking about the people who blew up the riverboat and took the money to bury it, maybe they're the murderers, (laughs) not just the thieves. Like, what a weird thing. Like, we've got a boat full of people killed. Yeah. That's an insane amount of massacre by now the white people after ned leaves nancy remains so deeply engrossed in this parchment paper that bess and george had to urge her three times to put it away and dress for the omega dinner dance hyper focus they kind of get her interested in the fact that there's apparently some big surprise gonna be revealed tonight it's like when you jingle keys for a kid. Oh, Nancy, mystery over here. Nancy, mystery over here. But she's not biting. <laughs> when they arrive at the dance, Dave cries out, you look super. He glances at Nancy and says, some Indian princess. Just let it go, guys. Emerson is not a safe place. It's not. This is land we stole to put our university on. Yeah. And this kind of stuff goes on to this day. I mean, that's the thing. This is the 1960s. 
No, it's very real. It wouldn't make me so angry if it wasn't still happening. Mm -hmm. Nancy laughed and patted Ned's arm. The Indian chief looks a bit dressed up too, don't you think? When they reached the Omega house, the teasing continued. Like, they are getting a lot of mileage out of this act of racism. (laughs) Well, the president of the fraternity himself, Chuck Wilson, says, We're going to have a little business meeting now. Us. Special one. Very culty. So the big news is that two alumni members left sizable sums of money to the fraternity and they can start building a new home. Was this the big secret, Nancy whispered to Ned? Is this it? No, that's not it. The big surprise is that everybody, except for modest Ned himself, has voted Ned as the new president of Omega Chi Epsilon Fraternity of Emerson University! Oh, Ned, cried Nancy. That's simply wonderful. She grasped his hand and kissed him in front of everyone. Ned looked stunned. Ned, you're the president now, baby. No one can stop you from kissing. Speech, speech, speech. No, guys, okay, yeah. Everyone everyone, hold on to your uh, horses. Do you want to read it? <clears throat> For, allow me to do Ned Nickerson's speech. You certainly caught me off balance this time. Thanks, fellows. It's going to be mighty hard filling Chuck Wilson's shoes. You all know that. I'll try hard, however. Just don't make it too rough for me, all of you. He sat down. The worst The speech. worst speech. It's so bad. Well, it's going to be tough, but I, you know, I'll do what I can. Just don't make it tough. All right. Well, says Chuck, Ned, I'll turn the gavel over to you after the private induction ceremonies next week. Oh, that, this is the ultimate in making Nancy a boyfriend simp. This is the first time I've ever heard this kind of thing from her. Nancy was wondering about the private induction. This was one thing she would never learn about, she knew. But it would be a memory Ned would cherish all his life. Nancy Drew was fine not knowing something. Bullshit. She herself was bursting with pride as everyone in the room rushed up to shake Ned's hand and wish him well. By the time they finished, he was blushing over the compliments. I don't know, the fraternity secret stuff always has creeped me out. We have a handshake or a whistle or whatever, and you can never know it. This is very strange. But, like, add on top of that the entire pageantry of this ritual that you have that will be a memory forever but no one can know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe it's just because I tell people too many stories about my own life that it creeps me out. The wonderful evening lasted very late, but early the next morning, Nancy was awakened by a knock on her door. Mrs. Holman has decided this letter that was shoved under their front door, Nancy better read it right away. Go home at once! Danger from the Phantom. Nancy glanced at the crude printing of her name. Her first thought was that it might be a joke. (laughs) Nancy, usually I would say trust your first thought, but this book, don't. Bess says, you've been all right so far, Nancy. Don't stretch your luck. I think we'd better go home after the picnic today. (laughs) And disappoint Mr. Rorick? Uncle John disappointed in us? I'll have no such thing. (laughs) 
He wants a pretty gaggle of detectives to live in his house and solve his mysteries, and he'll get it. George voted to stay. They decide at this point, maybe there's a secret room or a hideaway where somebody's spying on them. Yeah, traditionally. Well, while everyone's getting breakfast ready, Nancy decides to do some sleuthing. This is a whole sidetrack, so I'm just going to tell it real fast. She goes into the basement, does find a secret door going outside, built on the outside to look like just part of the foundation. Nancy tries to pry it open, at which point it falls on her. Meanwhile... The door was not shoved closed by some enemy. No, it just sometimes closes on its own and a big old bar slams down and locks it. So they have to you know, break like normal. down the door to this workshop to get in to rescue Nancy. Nancy has to spend a day eating very little and being isolated from the Your other wolf. girls. I did appreciate that I think they said something like, oh, head injuries can be serious. The next morning, they're finally off to go investigate the Indian village. The boys can't make it. They have to study. They just didn't want to do any more digging. Here and there on the landscape, they see weed-covered humps that apparently Nancy thinks used to be ovens. We came to find a treasure and maybe a lost wedding dress, Bess reminded the others. I'm sure we're never going to find it in this place. Already dissing the village for some reason. The other girls were not so sure. George said, if you were an Indian, where would you hide a treasure? Well, says Nancy, probably in your most sacred place. Oh no, let's go defile it. Yeah, and that probably would be in the center of the village. So let's go dig there. The reason you would do that is Indians would be too superstitious to touch it. I mean, yeah, make up stories. I don't know, whatever. Fred Jenkins shows up out of nowhere. Creepy, I think. Dropping lemonade all over the place. So you're digging for Indian relics, eh? He asked. I have a message for you, Miss Nancy. This one is from Carson Drew, so it's probably real. I need you at home at once. Hannah Green is very ill. Before she read the letter, it says the letter was poorly spelled. But that's literally the only word that's misspelled. You would think she'd be like, this is definitely not real because Hannah Gruen's name is not and has never been Hannah Green. Fred Jenkins says that he spoke to Carson Drew on the phone. And so just Fred took the notes. Took this note. Oh, Fred is an idiot. Okay, yeah, Fred is so dumb. He might hear it wrong or spell it wrong or both. Okay, okay. That was very kind of you, said Nancy. Girls, it's too bad to leave here, but you know how I feel about Hannah. We'll have to go right I'm po- Positively. <laughs> I'm a fan. Fred, meanwhile, is staring at Nancy intently. Jesus. This guy is just, if you saw him in a movie, you know he's a bad guy by now. I like how dirty you are. And yet Nancy never suspects him. No. At least not yet. I'll miss seeing you around. Kind of got used to you. Go away, please. Toad, you rat, you dirty thing. Well, says Bess, I wonder what happened to Mrs. Gruen. She seemed to be in the best of health when we left home, says George. Well, says Nancy, I don't think anything's wrong with Mrs. Gruen. She calls home, and of course, Mrs. Gruen is just fine. Healthier than ever. Just saw a doctor. He said, I'll live a million years. It's at this point that Nancy finally starts to be suspicious of Fred Jenkins. (laughs) Hmm, I think maybe he didn't want us digging. So they have a nice leisurely lunch. And then on the way back to the site to dig some more, Nancy says to the others, I bet we get there and somebody else has been digging this whole time. 
I bet you're right, Nancy. Was the leisurely lunch worth it? Was it worth it, Nancy? Incidentally, Mrs. Holman had mentioned that Fred Jenkins never came back to finish his work. So unreliable. But I, I'm used to him, so I keep him around. He's also very honest while being unreliable. <laughs> We also don't pay anything. (laughs) Yeah, he also just showed up and started doing chores one day. We don't know what that's about. Nancy suggests they sneak up on the spot in hopes that he's still digging Mm -hmm. and they can tackle him. No such luck. Oh my goodness, said Bess. I don't like capturing criminals. (laughs) Yeah, who freaking does? Ned. Yeah, yeah. oh, you're right, yeah. yeah. George looked disdainful. What kind of sleuth are you anyway? (laughs) Reluctant. I mean, yeah. I mean, ideally, as a sleuth, you solve the case, and then the police capture the criminals. I mean, typically, yeah. Best became silent and stayed at the rear of the trio. (laughs) Yeah, this is foreshadowing for how badass Bess is going to be later on. Right. So indeed, somebody has been digging. There are half a dozen new deep holes. Nancy's hunch had been right. Suddenly, Bess and George realize that Nancy is not pointing at the holes, but pointing at the man running away from them. (laughs) They chase after him only to see him rowing away in a rowboat. He's a small statured man. They all felt sure that by the way this man was acting, aka running away from them, that proved his guilt. Yeah, you know. Well, let's hurry back and dig for treasure. We didn't see him carrying one. So they're digging around. They do manage to find like a statue of a goddess. Not super familiar with the Ohio River indigenous peoples. Or their pantheons. In fact, that's going to be my personal challenge to go educate myself. Sure. I don't know whether we can keep this or not. One thing I never did find out was who owns this property. Here's a, here's a small injection of problematic thinking. This is a Native American artifact left here by the Native Americans who were forced from this place. Who does it belong to? The person who currently owns this land and not the tribe who left it behind? Like, that that's crazy, right? Yeah. Well, luckily, George looked it up and it belongs to the town of Emerson. Right. Send it to the British Museum, why not? I mean, like, come on! Then anything we dig up will be turned over to the authorities, said Nancy. That makes it simple. Bess wandered off some distance to work. After a time, Nancy noticed her and was about to call her when she yells out. She had unearthed a human skull. Is this anything? Hypers, George exclaimed. You've dug up a grave. Bess freaks the heck out, but George and Nancy are just like, ooh, it's so fascinating. We better dig up the rest of the skeleton. Let's see if it'll dance for us. Let's give this to the Emerson people. What? It's... it's what sunday afternoon grave robin wouldn't you want there's so many things wouldn't you want to talk to an archaeologist like an actual archaeologist about whether we should dig this up or not and have them do the work with the proper tools to dig it up and like also archaeologists in my opinion should rarely if ever be digging up dead people also like you just found an intact skeleton in a shallow grave that might be a murder victim yeah let's maybe let's do some tests well nancy can tell it's a very old skeleton oh he's got a big white beard nancy also decides she knows that this person was 
an Indian Mm -hmm. because they are wearing a beaded anklet. As if a white person couldn't have put a beaded anklet on. Again, go to Coachella and enjoy. And they decide this whole theory, the grave has been previously robbed and that's why it's shallow and there must have been other jewelry that was stolen. Just okay. Nancy has a feeling that they have unearthed something valuable that a museum might be glad to get. It's, it's a dead a, person. It's a human. You want a dead person? Like, at this point, Bess is like, okay, I'm out of here. I'm going to go call the police so they can come get this skeleton for the town of Emerson, I guess. <laughs> Professor Greentree arrives. He's an authority on Indian history. Mm-hmm. He confirms I, that it's a dead person. I'm very sure he's an authority. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe he's not white. He's white, though. I'm glad that's over, said Bess, and I hope we don't meet any more prehistoric men. I'm glad they addressed this, because that's, like, low-key racist as fuck. Because prehistoric literally means before history. Yeah. And I do think that the Native American tribes were keeping some written history. Prehistoric, George repeated. Why, that skeleton is probably only a couple of hundred years old. Rather handsome, too. Okay, so, like, you made it slightly better, and then you made it gross. Like, you made it worse. Are you not attracted to skeletons, huh? I don't know what's Most of us are really into skeletons. I don't know what's going on. Let's dig a little longer, (laughs) says Nancy. Find a couple more graves. I'm getting hungry, said Bess, as a gentle hint they should give up. But the others, after glancing at their wristwatches, told her it was nowhere near time. So they settle on a compromise. They actually, like, this is pretty nice for them in regards to Bess. Mm -hmm. They settle on a compromise of half an hour. And furthermore, Nancy says, we'll just search. We won't dig anymore. I know they had a leisurely lunch before they got out here, but having chased a person down, dug around this site, and unearthed a whole skeleton, how is it still not close to dinner? Also, even if you aren't freaked out by a skeleton, I think you could probably you gotta understand, understand. Yeah. why your friend needs to go home. Yeah. Anyways, the phantom is spying on them. They chase him again, the small statured man, and then they find a shallow cave. They find artifacts in there, colored beads, and then she finds a piece of ribbon that says Abigail on it. So that was the name of the bride who was supposed to get the gifts. Mm -hmm. This offers no real clue to them in any way. Uncle Rorick knew about that place and had maybe even like set some of it up as a kid. Well, says Nancy, I wish I knew why the friendly Indians turned on the survivors. Could be anything. Could be anything. I mean, what did the what did they do? What did the white people do? What? what I'm. It baffles me. What what could they have done? I mean, if they did anything, they were just a few bad eggs. <laughs> oh no. Nancy and George want to try to capture the Phantom. Scooby-Doo style. Who they found spying on them. Mm -hmm. To this suggestion, Bess gave a flat veto, and no amount of persuasion would make her change her mind. (laughs) Nancy and George did not think they could carry out the plan alone, so it was abandoned. They decide to watch him rowing away, and Nancy and George both fall down the cliff. They just, like, roll and tumble to the bottom. Mm -hmm. Oh, I hope Nancy and George didn't break any bones, Bess thought worriedly. It's usually George. It's very surprising that it's Nancy and George. Yeah. Are you all right? Bess called down anxiously. George looked up at her cousin. All right, but I'm furious. Why did that earth have to give way just when we were on the trail of the phantom? I'm gonna kick its ass. Nancy smiled despite her disheveled condition and several scratches. 
George, you make any awful situation seem funny. Suddenly, Bess warned in a hoarse whisper, Look out, there on the water, there's Fred Jenkins in a rowboat. Look out, it's Fred Jenkins? <laughs> in a rowboat. <laughs> Look out! <laughs> Here comes Fred Jenkins. He's got pink lemonade. I would be so mad at my friends at this point if I were Bess. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it is the worst thing when you just want to go home. Please let me go process this. Yes. <laughs> they wondered if Fred had seen them tumble. One thing was sure, he had made no effort to help them. <laughs> also, his rowboat looks the exact same as the Phantom's rowboat. And all rowboats. Well, the boat wasn't marked, and there may be many others like it, George said. Indeed, all rowboats. Personally, I think Fred Jenkins is too stupid to be mixed up in this mystery. Which is funny because stupid is the way so many of these criminals get mixed up in crime. Well, I'm not so sure he isn't in it, Nancy declared. Doesn't it strike you as odd that very often he is around where we are? Yes. George was indignant. I vote we find out at once. I need to know whether that man is stupid. And how in the world are you going to do that, asks Bess. If Fred is guilty, you don't suppose he's going to tell us? He might. George had no answer to this, and the three girls walked along in silence for several minutes. <laughs> Nancy said, I think I have a solution. We'll ask Mrs. Holman where Fred lives and quiz some of his neighbors about him. That's a good default plan for Nancy. Nancy at least tells Mrs. Holman what she's about to go do. Mrs. Holman is sworn to secrecy. Fred lived in a section of old, small homes. They talk to the woman he rents his room from. The landlady. Yeah, that's who you want to trust is the landlord. Three attractive young ladies coming to visit him, and him kind of simple at times? Bess and George were about to reveal that they were not personal friends of Fred's. But Nancy gave them a warning look. A sudden idea had come to her. She laughed. Fred is simple only at times? I was gonna say, I love how astonished Nancy is. That's right. The garrulous woman replied. Garrulous meaning excessively talkative. I'm glad to hear that, said Nancy. Otherwise it would be hard for him to earn a living, I suppose. <laughs> the guest house owner stared at Nancy. You're a bright one yourself. You're right. Fred couldn't hold down a job if he wasn't bright sometimes. Very smart. That's why we're here, to see about giving Fred a job. I want my car washed, but I'll be in touch with him. Yeah, I, I needed my car washed and I thought, why not track down that dumb guy? The woman assured her that she knew Fred would be delighted to do any kind of job for such an attractive girl. Oh my god. Stop trying to set up Nancy. Nancy ignored the compliment. <laughs> Secretly, she wondered if the woman were trying to pump her. Ew. She asked, oh, by the way, does Fred have a family? The only one I know about is his pa. He lives here with Fred. I see, said Nancy. I suppose he's employed too. The guest house owner crossed her arms and leaned forward so that her face was very close to Nancy's. <laughs> kind of funny about him. He's a strange man. Don't talk much. And as far as I know, he don't work neither. He's hardly garrulous at all. She says as far as she knows, but then from then on, she's like, he's gotten really busy lately, but I know he doesn't work. Not him. He wouldn't work. 
I just, I've been doing this long enough. I know he doesn't have a job. That said, he's very busy. And she also offers the theory that Fred Jenkins maybe used to be smart, or maybe it was his dad. It's not clear who she's talking about, but that they became dumb when they got punched in the head while they were boxing. That's right. As they're about to leave, they see the Phantom entering the building. The man of small stature. Could he be the father of Fred Jenkins? When the girls get home, the boys are waiting for them. They pretended to be weak-kneed and dizzy. Oh, all that studying today, Dave said. I'm only half alive! The other two boys looked equally exhausted. But you can help us, Bert said weakly. How? George asked suspiciously. Mm, Erotic massages? By taking pity on us, Ned said, and added... Just go out into the country with us for supper and dancing. (laughs) You'll be surprised how soon we'll revive. The evening was wonderful indeed. Not only because of the animated conversation, good food, and excellent music, but because of plans Nancy was able to make. Tell me more. Ned and Nancy have a date to go diving (laughs) to try to find the Lucy Bell. What could be better, an evening of... Laughter, friends, and a little bit of progress in the mystery. Unfortunately, when they get home, Nancy discovers her car is gone. It's the Phantom. As usual, Ned suggests that maybe she just left the keys in the car. Sure. Maybe you just forgot where you put it. She has to go up and get her keys to prove that she did not leave them in the car. Which is funny because the Phantom stole the car. Yes. And has access to the keys because he stole her necklace. Mrs. Holman feels responsible. She was watching TV and did not hear the car being stolen. The next morning, though, her car is back and it's been washed. The phantom strikes again. Nancy's first thought is that the police found it. She calls the police. They don't wash her car for you, Nancy. I know Nancy has a low view of the police, but for crying out loud. Nancy, if she hadn't had witnesses, would think she had dreamed the whole thing. Yeah. No, she wouldn't. Nancy has more faith in her memory than that. We've seen that in the past. Remember that time everyone thought she was dreaming? With the two men who carried her away. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Well, given that the car has been washed, Nancy finally notes this and says maybe Fred Jenkins had something to do with this. But this is crazy. Fred says, there was a key, so I just drove away with it. Fred has a theory about why there was a key. Maybe a ghost put it there. Yeah, and asked and answered. (laughs) But really, Fred and his dad, as the Phantom, don't really think of Nancy as like a problem Mm -mm. or acknowledge that she's there. They're just kind of doing their thing. There is a threatening note and the, like, phone call from Carson trying to get her away, but there's no actual harm. They could have just not returned the car. Yeah, a million things, right? Yeah. Mm. He had his dad hotwire the car and then they made a key so that he could drive it back. You don't get service like that anymore. (laughs) Yeah, your nemesis doesn't often steal your car in order to clean it. Bess shook her head in complete puzzlement. (laughs) Nancy, this is the craziest mystery you have ever asked us to help solve. No one's asking you for any help. Nancy laughed. I guess you're right. Is it? Maybe. 
I don't know, it's the most racist one. But that's just being at Emerson College. That's not the mystery, that's just the town. George is sure that Fred did steal the car and only returned it because he found out the police were looking for it. Bess was sure George was right. Nancy did not commit herself. My advice for any listener is don't get into Grand Theft Auto if your hope is that the police just won't be involved. They will be. You need to be ready for that. Nancy left a trap in the library. She switched two books. And she's going to see if the thief switched them back. That's not a trap. I mean, that's an OCD test. Bess giggled. Poor Uncle John. He'll never know where to find his books again. They've been put back helter-skelter. They didn't even try to sort. And also, to be fair, Uncle John was keeping track of where his money was based on what his name is. It wasn't much of a system in the first place. Can you imagine if the library is like the Beauty and the Beast library and having to put every one of those books back on the shelves? Oh, what a hassle. Oof. Hopefully the castle could just use magic. Oh, right. They'll just sing a song. Yeah. <laughs> it looks undisturbed in there, but the two books were in fact switched. Put the books on the shelf. Hope the Dewey system helps. Nancy finds somebody with bits of grass on his shoes has been in the room, especially in front of the safe. Classic phantom behavior. Nancy rushed upstairs for her special magnifying glass. At exactly one o'clock, Mr. Rorick drove up and came in. He was jovial and looked rested from his vacation. I had a good time. Hope nobody wore my clothes while I was gone. He says, I don't care if it takes all summer. You have to stay and solve this. Nancy is not ready for that kind of commitment. But you're pretty and in my home. Nancy instantly thought of all the plans she had and knew she would not be able to stay at Emerson much longer. (laughs) Well, says Nancy, perhaps you'd better open the safe and make sure everything's there. He goes on about how good of a safe it is as he opens it up. I mean, there's no way anyone, even a phantom, could get into my- What? It would take a professional safe cracker. All the money that was in there is gone, as well as his priceless- coin collection and by priceless we mean incredibly pricey let's tell the police says nancy they didn't believe me before they won't believe me now that i have an actual robbery to report (laughs) instead of just a ghost i kept calling the police and telling them that a ghost was coming into my locked library and moving books a little bit they didn't care so why would they care now (laughs) that well over half a million dollars worth of coins have been stolen Nancy helps him try to write an inventory of his coins since he has no inventory of what's in these books. When I think coin collection, you know, I'm like, oh, you've got a 1920 VFD penny. Oh, that's real special. But he's like, well, I had a coin that was from Rome. <laughs> I had a coin that was from the before the history of man. <laughs> I had a coin from Atlantis. Like, he had these, like, crazy history coins. Yeah. How can you possibly be that level coin enthusiast and not have a list yeah nancy finally convinces him to call the police for the first time the chief admitted that a real phantom thief was plaguing mr rorick all right i guess you've got ghosts we'll get the gpd on it only mrs holman and mr rorick knew the safe's number the two officers gave mrs holman a searching look Mm -hmm. mr rorick came to her defense at once If you were a maid Mm -hmm. and you stole a considerable amount of money, would you just leave? Well, you know, all her friends are here. She's got a book club here. Then why do you need the money? If 
you're happy with your life, you're living in a mansion, a right. literal mansion. Right. It's I would say it's the heroin addiction. Well, the police find no footprints or fingerprints. Not even giant ones. Nancy has to go because she has to go scuba diving with Ned. <laughs> Gotta go find that boat. They're gonna meet up with the other couples at dinner time. Nancy's heart began to pound with excitement. As and not she, for the reasons you'd think. She successfully finds Lucy Bell at yeah. the bottom of the river. They're able to swim all around it, looking in its exploded hole. There's no treasure. There's no cargo left in there. Bottom of the river. <laughs> That's where we never checked. Ned keeps saying, we're kind of low, low on the old oxygen. Maybe we should leave. Nancy's like having none of it. At one point, she falls into the ship and gets her hose kind of kinked up and he just like saves her and she's like no i'm gonna keep searching <laughs> and finally he's like no we're out of air we gotta get out of here <laughs> and so they do but they decide that was enough searching they know for sure the treasure isn't there no really ruined the mood with that whole we need to breathe thing meanwhile back at the mansion bert and dave are relieved when george and Bess say that the place they want to go doesn't even cost a nickel <laughs> These are poor college boys. Yeah, what do they sell insurance? You get the impression that Ned's the only one that has like his parents' money and then also the money from all these weird jobs he ends up with. True. And the other two boys are just like, we're trying. We, we're camp counselors every summer. Yeah, we gotta <laughs> make that last. Fixed income. Bess and George would like to do some sleuthing for Nancy. That's their plan. Mm -hmm. Suddenly, Dave said, maybe that phantom goes down the chimney like Santa Claus. That's it. This leads to Dave almost dying. <laughs> I'll play Santa, he says, right before face first going into the chimney and getting completely stuck dumb ways to die <laughs> his legs so many dumb ways to die his legs are thrashing wildly mm -hmm. he is very stuck and it's implied that he probably can't breathe so they pull enough that he can breathe at least mm -hmm. apparently though he's probably breathing in a lot of suit mm -hmm. they do manage to get him out of the chimney completely covered in soot i imagine the four of them just standing there breathing heavy taking a moment and then being like maybe sleuthing isn't for us <laughs> You sure you're all right? Bess asked solicitously. Sure, said Dave. But give me first prize for being the stupidest guy at Emerson. Bert grinned. And the dirtiest. Mrs. Holman once again is in disbelief as she sees these kids who just managed to constantly get dirty. Mm -hmm. Bess laughed. This one we can't blame on Nancy, except indirectly. Let's blame Dave. No, it's Nancy's fault. She brought us all together. Meanwhile, George, I guess, sketches up a funny sketch of Dave with his head down the chimney. Oh, that George. He roars with laughter. Santa Claus always leaves gifts, says Dave. Tell you what, I'll take you all to supper if you'll pick out a place that won't empty my pockets. He's just in that, like, high of, like, I've survived. He doesn't care about money yeah, right now. Yeah, I'm alive. I didn't think I would be. <laughs> Meanwhile, on their date, Nancy has Ned follow Fred Jenkins, which point he gets joined by the Phantom. Both of them end up at a shack, but then just disappear. Inside the shack, they find a key maker that will just make any key, I guess, that you want. 
I immediately imagine like the key maker from The Matrix. It's like a little old man with keys all over the walls. <laughs> you need a key. They decide to take it to the police. Sure. Whoever owned it was doing bad things with it. Well, says Ned, aren't we going to meet the other couples for dinner? Um, we were if we could make it, but instead I'd like to go to the police station. <laughs> yeah, we could continue our date, but mystery. Nancy purchases on the way home a new padlock. This one has an alarm on it. <laughs> Third padlock is best padlock. And I think it really shows that, you know, definitely he's not using the door. Nancy and Ned end up having dinner with Mrs. Holman and Uncle John. It's roast beef. (laughs) When the other young people get home, Nancy and Ned both laughed and shuddered upon hearing the story of Dave's fall into the chimney. (laughs) You almost died. (laughs) Nancy has a plan for Uncle John. He's supposed to go into the library, Mm -hmm. turn on all the lights, very obviously put money in a number of the books, without drawing the curtains. We're hoping the thief's watching from the outside. Oh, you want to trap the phantom, says Uncle John. He's really smart. (laughs) That's right. I'm sure he won't be able to resist the money. Oh, look, a book of roars. I suppose I'll put my money in here. Page 300. (laughs) Mrs. Holman says, it's deliberately inviting a burglar into your home. But I suppose it's worth the risk if it will trap the thief. Thanks, Vicana. So this is all achieved. Mr. Rorick insists on standing guard without the boys' help. Bess and George just fall asleep, but Nancy is restless. About midnight, as she gazed towards the woods, she saw a flickering light spring up among the trees. The phantom is here, she murmured. (laughs) She watched for some time, and then the light went out. Nancy tensed, waiting for the alarm to sound. Again, what? Nope. It doesn't. Finally, in sheer exhaustion, she fell asleep. No one had heard the alarm go off, but the money was stolen. (laughs) Nancy went up to Mrs. Holman and hugged her. You were right all along. The phantom literally goes through walls. George, always practical, asked, but which wall? Mr. Rorick stood stupefied. He seemed completely unable to believe what had happened. As you know, I have searched this room thoroughly, said Nancy, and the police have too. There's one place left that the thief may use, a spot I thought was impossible. Oh yeah, that's the first place you gotta look, is the impossible spot. The boys mentioned that when they were up on the roof, Dave had said that the flues slanted towards the outside of the chimney. Now, why would that be? Simultaneously, for the first time, Nancy realized that the mantel shelf was very wide. Wide enough for a person to stand on. Haha, there's a small section here that sounds hollow, she exclaimed. Bess, will you find me the thinnest nail file you can? (laughs) The nail file pressed out a wafer-thin metal lever, and at the same moment, the whole section above the center of the fireplace swung outward. You've done it! You've found it! Bess cried ecstatically as she helped Nancy to her feet. So this leads into a dark, narrow passageway, which they felt sure opened into the dining room. She climbs up and inserts the nail file into the section that backed up the one above the fireplace in the library. Mr. Rorick was flabbergasted. This is one secret which never passed down in the family. Seems like one you would want to pass down. It does, because think about how much money you spent 
<laughs> building this fake fireplace into your wall for who knows what means. But someone else learned about it, said George. And how? That's a g- good question, too. Yippee! Nancy has solved the mystery of the phantom. <laughs> Not only that, but they do find that the coin collection has just been left in the secret passageway. Nancy has Mr. Rorick put it back in the passage so that when the phantom or Fred Jenkins shows up, they won't suspect anything. Sure. Maybe just put fake coins in there. Something. You're really going to take that gamble. Yeah. The police should be notified at once and come here to catch that criminal. Nancy said, oh, please don't do that. I want to catch him myself. Not just to capture him, but to see if I can find out what else he has been searching for. I think we owe it to Nancy Drew to let her have her way. Sure. (laughs) But there must be restrictions and a time limit. Nancy Drew's plan is when Fred Jenkins shows up next, Mrs. Holman will mention Mr. Rorick is gone. The girls are gone. And there's a billion dollars in the library. And at some point she'll be like, I also have to leave. So they're leaving Fred Jenkins alone in the house. Mm -hmm. Then at some point she'll call him on the phone, tell him he has to take out the trash. When he leaves to take out the trash, the girls will sneak in and hide in the library. Then, when the Phantom shows up, they'll tackle him. Uncle John says the plan will probably not be dangerous with three girls against one small man. Yeah. What could go wrong? What do you you have, a gun? You know. Things do go wrong. They just were like posed eating lunch when he arrived and telling each other about the plans so he would overhear. Everything goes to plan. The girls do sneak back into the house. Unfortunately, a weapon that we were introduced to in the previous book is also present in this one. That's right. The Phantom owns a knockout spray gun. (laughs) Nancy, who right away tries to jump out at him and take him unawares before he can reach for a weapon is not so lucky. He sprays her full force and knocks her out. George is not going to let that happen to her friend, so she also jumps out and gets sprayed and knocked out. He also does manage to get into the safe again Mm -hmm. and steal more money. Bess looked on horrified. If she tried to stop him, no doubt he would give her the same treatment. She stood up and cried, stop. At the same time, she picked up a heavy bookend from the desk. The the thief turned to give her a dose from the spray gun, and she hurled the bookend directly at it and knocked the weapon from his hand. It's Bess's time to shine. Luckily, that sudden move also made the man teeter in his precarious position on the mantel shelf Mm -hmm. because he was getting ready to leave. Mm -hmm. Uh, He loses his balance, hits his head, and he's knocked out now. Bess goes and she calls the police. The police are on their way. Unfortunately, who should enter but Fred Fred Jenkins. Jenkins. So now it's up to a very frightened Bess to stare down a criminal, keep him from going and discovering that his probably partner is knocked out in Mm. the other room, and also keep him here long enough for the police. Who would you bet on? Bess or a thin, clumsy, terrified nerd of a young boy? And it's a tough question. The only thing left to Bess was conversation. And we know she's good at that. Yeah. 30 Rock episode where Jenna says, I'll have to stop them using the only tool I have. Don't say your sexuality. My sexuality. (laughs) Mustering all the courage she possessed. She hurries into the kitchen and broadly smiles at Fred Jenkins. He's like, uh, why are you here? Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
Fast giggled. You know how girls are. I got a good distance from here and then I remembered I'd forgotten something. Had to come back and get it. He kept glancing around and looking very uncomfortable. Finally, he said, are you alone? Bess laughed. What do you think I am? Three people? I'm heavy enough to make three, but I do try to diet. Jesus, Bess. Fred, how do you manage to stay so thin? Me? I don't know. Did anyone come into the house after you did? Bess answered lightly. Oh, I know Mr. Rorick and Mrs. Holman won't be back for some time. As for Nancy and George, I'll be joining them in a few minutes. They're waiting for me outside. I guess it's just us. Tell me, Fred, do you like having odd jobs at different places? Wouldn't you rather have a steady job somewhere? Bess shrugged. You sound as if you want to get rid of me. Don't you like talking to me? Teehee. Why, er, yes, Fred replied. (laughs) Smooth Fred. She wondered how much longer she could keep Fred in the kitchen, talking about inconsequential matters. She struggled on bravely. Wouldn't you like a snack? Um, I see some delicious pudding. Want some? (laughs) No. How about a piece of cake? Bess moved over to the cake box. No. As he said this, a feeling of relief came over Bess. She had heard a car roar up to the front of the house. That must be friends of mine. The police do capture Fred, who glares at Bess and says, You! You double-crossed me! (laughs) You never cared how I stay so thin at all. (laughs) Yes, I did. Your father, or whoever that man is, who you pal around with, is lying in the library unconscious. What? Fred cried out. My father is hurt? So he is your father, said Bess. To the police, she directed, Follow me. They arrive on the scene, and Fred Jenkins' eyes nearly popped out of his head. You found the secret passageway? Well, Nancy Drew found it, says Bess. She and my cousin George are lying in that room unconscious. Your father used a knockout spray gun on them. You said my father was unconscious too, said Fred. What happened to him? When Bess told him, the young man blinked. You're, you're that brave? <laughs> Best did not reply. No. <laughs> None of the victims suffer harmful after effects. Mr. Jenkins got a nasty bruise on his head. He takes quite a while to wake up. Did he get smart again from that? When Nancy and George learn what Best did for them, George exclaims, Bess, our timid one. The amount they underestimated mm-hmm. Bess. Bess merely smiled. Suddenly, her legs were getting rubbery. She was feeling the emotional strain and flopped onto the couch. Fred Jenkins basically gives up everything to the police mm-hmm. with a bit of braggadocio. <laughs> so he brags about all the things he did. He even gives up the name of the two men in the library who helped them out. There's always just like two extra people. Oh, I shouldn't have mentioned their names. <laughs> Nancy was sure the men would be picked up for questioning. Nancy spoke up. If you were trying to keep this thing so secret, why did you use light in the woods? That was my idea. I heard Mrs. Holman say nobody but a phantom could get into the library. So he just basically messed with her, like decided to go with it. Spooky ooky. Fred doesn't know anything about the stolen money. He was definitely complicit in them looking for treasure clues in Mm -hmm. this library. As were the two men at the library. Like, basically all the two men at the library did was some research. 
So like all of this would have been kind of a not a non-crime and probably the police would have never cared. Research into getting treasure that might have possibly belonged to the city. <laughs> yes, but still. Nevertheless, the problem became that Mr. Jenkins himself was... Just helping himself to money whenever he wanted to. Stealing the money. Yeah. And stealing eventually the stuff from the safe. Yep. Unbeknownst to Fred completely. Which I find kind of hilarious. Yeah. That's the best double cross yet. Yeah. Your whole criminal gang is just like mostly planning on trespassing for clues. Also, good on this team for not getting sidetracked. Yeah, they didn't do any other crimes. No. Unless you count the sidetrack, the stealing of the money, since all they were supposed to do was look for the treasure. Yeah, like touching the gem in the Cave of Wonders or whatever. I bet Fred, working for Uncle John, could have just been like... Do you mind if I do some research in your library? Yeah. I, I bet he would have said yes. Yeah, Fred could have done that, totally. I guess Fred doesn't have the brains to do the research himself, but... This is where we find out Fred Jenkins just had a large friend with huge thumbs and decided to pull a prank on Nancy, and that's all the thumbprints were. Yeah, maybe to scare her off. Like, <laughs> I'm not getting involved with this. The Phantom has big hands. Well, the bad guys never did find the treasure, so it's still out there. The end. Won't Uncle John and Mrs. Holman be amazed when they return? Just think, the mystery is solved. Nancy corrected her. Only one of the mysteries is solved. But like, Uncle John doesn't care. Like, he never cared about the treasure. Yeah, Nancy, you gotta find a new place to live. George said she did not have one single hunch to offer Nancy. Bess declared her brain would not work anymore. <laughs> well, I have an idea, said Nancy. Suppose that the indigenous people were kind to the survivors of the ship. Seems pretty reasonable to me. Mm -hmm. Okay. They helped the crewmen bury the treasure, thinking it belonged to everyone, that it would just be distributed. In return, the crewmen promised a share of it, but did not intend to keep the promise. Of course. When they sneaked back later to dig it up, the indigenous people discovering that they had been double-crossed became furious at all the survivors and killed them. Naturally. That's what you do when you're mad. That's what I do. That's what I would do. The old map shows that the massacre took place near the village. I'll bet that's where we'll find the pine tree landmark Ned thought he had located on the shore. I misread this because I thought they literally went back. No, it's not the same okay. stump. I was, I, I was, <laughs> I'm like, oh, it's just, it's always the first place you check, I guess. George stood up. It's a long chance, but let's go. Now, Bess asked, right now. I am glad they at least didn't let Ned solve this. Yeah, and I'm, yes, I, that's true. And I'm glad they didn't go to another dance before we continue the mystery. So Nancy finds another large pine tree stump and says, let's start here. As Bess shoved a spade into the ground, she remarked, Nancy Drew, you'd better be right this time because this is the last digging I'm going to do. Nancy and George laughed as they took positions and began to work. Suddenly, George exclaimed that her spade had hit something. They uncovered two iron chests, the words, conveniently, the words Lucy Bell could be seen on the lid of the top chest. That is convenient. The first chest they open has a huge heap of gold coins. There must be millions of them, Bess cried out. 
What a haul, said George. But not for us, Nancy reminded uh, 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 them. That belongs to the city. <laughs> I suppose this belongs to the town of Emerson. Doesn't belong to the descendants of the people or the Native Americans it was promised or it belongs to the city. The second chest says Rorick on it. The girls haul it to the surface. In it, inside of the chest, they find a small leather trunk. On this, the name Abigail Rorick has been painted. Inside are the gifts. Well, they get the chests back to the lawn of the mansion just in time for Uncle John and Mrs. Holman to arrive back home. Mm -hmm. The utter bewilderment on the faces of the two older people almost amused Nancy. (laughs) We'll carry these inside while you get the key, Uncle John. So neatly packed inside of the leather trunk was one of the most exquisite wedding dresses they had ever seen. Exquisite wedding dress. With it were very pointed, high-heeled white satin slippers. High slippers. Not yellowed with age. The lovely veil looked so fragile that the girls were afraid to touch it. Fragile veil. But they did pick up the ivory-handled, hand-painted fan, which had been the French queen's gift to Abigail Rorick. French fan. At the bottom of the chest lay a velvet jewel case. Within, pinned to the satin lining of the case, were two exquisite miniatures painted on ivory. They were framed with jewels. They were portraits of Louis Philippe and his queen. Treasures! Gifts! The Phantom in Jail! A secret passageway uncovered! Mr. Rorick exclaimed. He added, I can never thank you girls enough. What can I do to show my appreciation? To be clear, I, just Rourke, just because your name's on this, I think it's still, by the way we've been defining this, belongs <laughs> to the city. Nancy laughed. Don't forget that you took us in when we were homeless. That was a very big favor. Yeah, I guess. I mean, they have been being hosted this entire time for free. Yeah, eating his food and stuff. Uncle John declared that the solving of the two mysteries was cause for a celebration. We'll have it right here. I'll engage caterers to serve the food. Among the guests will be people from the university and officials of the town of Emerson. And girls. And Mrs. Palmer, put in Nancy. Again, wait, is she not one? Yeah, I guess. I promised to tell her the outcome of the mystery. Certainly, said Uncle John. Then together your girls and I will present the chest of gold coins to the town officials and the wedding gown and other pieces to the university museum. Suddenly he grinned. But not these precious miniatures. These I will keep and give to the first of you three girls to be married. Okay, so first of all, yes. Okay, the treasure goes to the city. But now we're saying that the other artifacts belong to Mr. Rorick. Now he's choosing to donate them mostly to the university. But these ones will go to, because there's only two of them. Like they could have easily written three and each of the girls when they got married got one. Mm, 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 Like mm. you have to always remember this was a choice. Yeah, they're not his. He's stealing them. Like are you saying that if we have precious rare heirlooms they should be going to a museum so i don't want to sit here and split hairs and say well technically it belongs to the city Mm -hmm. because even if it does i believe the city would give them right back to mr rorick sure and i think that's probably justified unless your argument is and i think it's an interesting one that historical items should belong to the city and not be just stuffed up in somebody's attic 
or passed on indefinitely to their children. If we were going to get into my political opinions on inheritance, it would we need a whole other podcast because generational wealth is a problem. Yeah, and I'm saying to put that aside, like I'm just okay. talking about the historical value, which would also be hard to define. So that like we're putting that aside by donating his heirlooms to Emerson College mm-hmm. and giving the girls these two little doodads. Mm-hmm. He is effectively as an older gay man mm-hmm. in a time when he couldn't exactly adopt. He is giving to what are like his children as much as he possibly can. Yeah. Because he clearly is a, if not father, uncle figure. And I joke about it being because of all their, you know, all the all the young men running around shirtless. As well. Like if you got right down to it, if the rule is that this treasure is buried on this land so it belongs to the town... Mm-hmm. It really should be given to the indigenous people who this land was stolen from. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously reparations are due. Really, the land should be given back. I think the additional implication here is 100% that Nancy's going to be the first one married. Nancy, Bess, and George blushed. And Nancy quickly changed the subject by saying she wondered what her next mystery would be. It was not long before she became involved in the mystery of the 99 steps which i hope to gosh is way better it better be freaking good okay i hope it's about a weight loss program oh my gosh no thank you <laughs> like maybe addiction recovery no it's gotta be a temple of some sort it's at this point that nancy reveals that she has a piece of ribbon with the name abigail on it and mr rourke is like why didn't you tell me you picked up that ribbon and nancy's like secretly pretty sure she did but she just like humors mr rourke the most condescending ending because nancy to be polite says i'm afraid i forgot uncle john literally pats her head this is how this book ends if i couldn't have hated it anymore it was bad to the last drop he is patting her head and says think nothing of it my dear all of us forget things now and then even the best of young lady detectives the prettiest nicest little detective literally patting her on the head and i get it's supposed to be funny because he's actually the one who forgot but don't love it well because we're coming up on it pretty soon now Mm -hmm. and no one in the book is gonna bring it up let me wish our listeners a happy juneteenth that's a pretty important holiday in june and uh invite you to come back when we tackle all 99 steps uh also please return to they did you wrong number five they did you wrong number five where we talk about the dangers of stereotypes and racism and some of the treatment that native americans got in the shadow ranch episode uh which i think really translates very well to what we saw here yeah but this is like times a million yeah it is yeah so you're welcome i mean it's awful and you know please educate yourselves and on that somber note i'm carl and i'm hope and we'll just say go Go wildcats (laughs) oh boy (laughs) we might need to have a special episode about this video game sometime i have a we have a there's a host of video games we can, um, oh, I don't know, put them on our Patreon. Remember to support us at our Patreon. <laughs> you can email us at riverheightsradio at google.com or find our Patreon, River Heights Radio. We'd really appreciate it.
Instagram at River Heights Radio, Twitter at River Heights FM, River Heights Radio on Facebook, and River Heights Radio on YouTube. Uh, and give us a review or five stars on uh, Apple Podcast or Spotify or Stitcher or wherever you're listening. Yeah, if you listen this far, I mean, why not? We actually put a, a lot of hours 